Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. When it comes to living the spiritual life, we all stumble from time to time. And one of the ways we stumble the most is by tripping on our own tongues. That's the subject of today's message, which continues our current sermon series on resolutions of the spiritual life and is based on the epistle of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This message is entitled, Tame Your Tongue. And thanks to Winterstorm Keenan, was recorded at our online service live from the back room of the parsonage. Well, one thing is for sure, we've all been there. We've all known that horrible feeling of having said the wrong thing. And even worse, of knowing that we said the wrong thing the very moment those words came out of our mouths. Now, to be fair about this, what actually happened might well have been perfectly innocent. Simply a minor miscommunication, or at best a little misunderstanding. Something we said that just didn't come out right. Or, and I fall prey to this sometimes, it could have been a failed attempt to be funny or to make a joke that ended up really being more hurtful than humorous. Or, let's be honest about it now, maybe it was a rude or cutting remark that under ordinary circumstances we never, ever would have spoken out loud. But in a singular moment of anger, frustration, or because we were feeling wounded or hurt ourselves, the words just kind of popped out. And of course, immediately, what happens is we wish we hadn't said it, and we would have done almost anything to take it all back. But we did say it, didn't we? And once those awful words were spoken, the damage was done. Like I said, unless I miss my guess here, we have all been there at one time or another. The reality of that kind of experience, of course, is nothing new, indeed. The desire to express ourselves is woven into our very creation. It's in our DNA, folks, as is the choice we have always to use our words for good or, or for ill. In biblical times, for instance, the spoken word was taken very, very seriously. The ancient Hebrews believed that to speak a word was, in essence, to make it real, to create something with powers of its own. The ultimate example of this was, of course, God. God, who at the very time of creation spoke the words, let there be light, and there was light. In the Hebrew language, you see, and in the Hebrew understanding, God's Speaking was the exact same thing as God acting. In other words, God said it and it was done. And it is done with firmness, with decisiveness. And as a verse in the 147th Psalm proclaims it, his word runs swiftly. The Hebrews also believed that to a lesser extent, the same kind of thing could be said of you and of me. They believe that the words that you and I speak, once they're out there, 
have a life of their own and they hold tremendous power that can be incredibly uplifting and healing or else be amazingly divisive and destructive. And frankly, and you know what I'm talking about here, it can be mostly the latter to it. If you do a word search on the word tongue with an online Bible, you're going to discover that tongue is usually connected to other words. And get how those words are connected. Other words connected to the word tongue are wicked, deceitful, lying, perverse, filthy, corrupt, bitter, angry, crafty, slanderous, gossiping, contentious, and I'm just getting started here. Now, if what I just shared with you there seems a whole long way away from the occasional slip of the tongue that we all fall victim to, well, you're right. Not every misspoken word can automatically be categorized as destructive or evil. But you see, what becomes apparent here is that as small as it is as part of the human body, one's tongue be, ends up being among the most important parts of the body, a crucial part of ourselves that, that needs to be tamed if we're going to keep our whole selves in check. That is, if we are to learn to live our lives with maturity and integrity and ever and always unto the purposes of God in Jesus Christ. And yes, that does kind of sound like another good resolution for the new year, doesn't it? For us to purposely be about the work of taming our tongues. Because when it comes to life, most especially the spiritual life, what we say and how we say it matters. Now, our text for this morning comes from the New Testament epistle of James. It is a relatively brief letter of the New Testament that, in fact, makes the case in about five chapters that true wisdom for life comes in living authentically as Christians while understanding at the same time that when it comes to living authentically, we all make many, many mistakes. Or to put it as the New International Version of Scripture puts it, we all stumble in many ways. <laughs> that much is for sure. And one of the ways we stumble the most, come to find out, is by tripping on our own tongues. According to James, and it's a, that's a wonderful passage we read today, According to James, the tongue has the power of directing and affecting not only our lives, but the lives of others. And it has that power in a big way. In fact, uh, James gives us several analogies, actually, to make this point. And the first two analogies, actually, are pretty amazing. He gives us these to give us an idea of just how much power the tongue can yield. First, there's the horse. A horse, an animal upwards of a thousand pounds or even more, that can be controlled and directed by virtue of a 10-ounce bit in his mouth. And if that's not enough, then James goes on to say that it's like a sailing ship. A sailing ship that although it's so large that it takes strong winds to drive it, 
it's guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. I've been thinking a lot about that. As you know, I like to do some sailing and have done some uh, a fair amount in, in the past. And even though I had a little sailboat, it really can't get anywhere unless there's just this little tiny rudder, a little tiller as we call it, to guide it in the right direction. And you can just move it ever so slightly to make a difference in the direction you go. But then I started thinking a little bit bigger and I was remembering back when we uh, lived near Portland, Maine, from time to time, there would be some rather significantly sized ocean liners that would include Casco Bay as a port of call. And of course, whenever that happened, we'd always have to go take a ride into the city, maybe go to the Portland Headlighter somewhere, just so that we could get, well, as much as we could, up close and personal at one of these massive ocean liners. Frankly, it was always amazing to me that a boat like that could ever get into Portland Harbor. And of course, you know, we couldn't really look at the whole thing. We can only look at it on from the outside. But what I found out is that on board a ship like that, there is tons of, of acreage, literally acreage. In fact, there are acres worth of recreational areas alone. Not the whole ship, mind you, but we're only talking here about the, the space that's been set aside for lounging, for, for dancing, for shuffleboard, all of that. And then that's to say nothing of all the dining areas and the stateroom throughout the ship. Moreover, and I, <clears throat> every time we would see one of these boats come in, I would kind of look it up that boat and see all the amenities that it have. And you would find out that it took a series of anchors, each and every anchor, the equivalent weight of eight cars minimum, to even begin to hold a ship like that in place. But here's the amazing part. For as huge as those ships are in comparison, once again, it's this relatively small rudder at the stern of the ship that steers it through the harbor and out towards the open water. Well, see, what James is saying here is don't underestimate the power of your little tongue or the words that come out of it. Because not only do they have the power to guide a massive sailing ship, in another great analogy in this passage, your tongue, that is your words, are like sparks that can hold things at bay or can set a whole forest on fire. <clears throat> Actually, this is where James gets a bit blunt with what he's saying. And again, uh, I want to use the New International Translation of Scripture here because I really do think it cuts to the heart of the matter. Words out of control, James says, corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. Now, you might be thinking he's overstating it, that you and I might well have spoken wrongly and harshly from time to time. We may have put our foots in our mouths, so to speak, but we've certainly not done anything as bad as all of that. And let's be fair, you may be right. But consider with me for a moment those who have spent perhaps their entire lives literally beaten down by the words that someone be it a parent, 
or a spouse or some family member or some so-called friend, a teacher. Words that have been hurled at them again and again. And, and you can guess them as well as I can. You're not good enough, are you? You're not smart enough. You're, you're too fat. You're too skinny. Why can't you be more like your brother or your sister? Make no mistake about it. Friends, there are people all around us, maybe even some of us, who have lived the majority of their lives never, ever having heard any real words of praise or, or joy or encouragement that they've been verbally abused and spiritually burned up by the fire that was kindled first by somebody's sharp tongue. Well, maybe we weren't intending to be abusive by what we say. But I ask you, what about the cutting remark, the snide comment, the critical observation, the outburst of anger that was accompanied by the sarcastic retort? The harsh word of correction. What about the slanderous statement or the rumor that was passed off as fact? The gossip that we so often pass on, delightfully pass on to anyone who will listen. How about that inappropriate attempt at humor, the vulgar curse? And what about the words that we've let fly out of our frustration or our anger or our hurt or jealousy? All those nicey Nice, juicy little digs we get in because, well, you know what? Truthfully, they make us kind of feel better about ourselves. How many of us, by our careless words, have hurt someone deeply? And what about the ways that our judgmental language has ended up diminishing or being downright dismissive of another's pain or another's truth? Our words can set off events that hurt or wound or destroy, be it a marriage or a career or the reputation of another. It, words like that can effectively end our relationship with a friend or a family member. We've all heard the old rhyme, have we not? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, let me tell you something, friends, that's a lie. Words can hurt. And they hurt badly. The point is, says Jamie, is that we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And with our tongue, we bless the Lord and Father. And with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth, he says, come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, he says, this ought not to be so. In other words, as disciples, we need to work at controlling our tongue. And yes, that's hard sometimes. And there are situations in which it is seemingly impossible. But just as fresh water and salt water can't flow from the same spring, just as fig trees can't bear olives, you and I can't live authentically spiritual lives unless we are watching the words we say. If you back up a couple of chapters in James, James says it himself. If any think they are religious, he says, and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Says it right there. And by the way, 
It's not all just about keeping it to ourselves either. Maybe you've heard the story about the man who joined a Trappist monastery, where for the first three years he was asked to be on a probationary period in which he had to take a vow of silence. And for an entire year, he couldn't say anything at all. Now, however, at the end of that first year, this man was allowed to have an audience with a head monk and, and to be able to say two words, just two words. So after this first year is done, he goes to the head monk and having thought very hard about the word he was going to speak, finally he says, bed, hard. That's it. That's all. And then he spends another whole year in science. And finally he gets another opportunity to speak two words to the head monk. But this time, when the time comes for him to say those two words, the man says, food, cold. Well, yet another year goes by. His third year in a vow of silence. But by this time, the young monk has had it. And so now he walks up to the head monk and he says simply, I quit. To which the head monk says, well, that doesn't surprise me. You've done nothing but complain since you've been here. You see, words do matter, don't they? But what matters even more is what's in the heart that has inspired those words in the first place. Your words show all around you what's in your heart. And quite frankly, your words won't change until your heart changes. I think that's why James is so adamant about no one being able to completely tame the tongue. Because to tame the tongue requires the heart to be moved. And, and the heart can only truly be moved with the help of God. I ask you, friends, what would happen if we were to adopt a discipline that before we spoke, about anything really, but especially to and about others, that we took a moment, a small moment, to prayerfully ask God about our motivations to speak. The Rotary Cub, I've thought, always had a pretty good model for this. It's what they call the four-way test. The first one being, of all the things we think, say, or do, is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendship? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? If it doesn't, simply put, don't say it. I like that. And what's more, we as Christians can probably easily add some more questions. Does it encourage? Does it build up? Does it heal? Does it give God glory? And does it further the cause of God's kingdom? Is what we're saying here consistent with our faith? And are we providing fresh spring water to those who will hear those words? We could learn a lot by asking questions like that. Because the bottom line is that for us to be truly authentic Christians, for us to live the spiritual life, the true spiritual life, we need to be careful and purposeful about what we say. This applies to who we are, to our spouses and to our children. It applies to how we govern ourselves at work, at play, or in the community. 
And yes, I think it particularly applies to the ways we relate to one another in the church because the church is a community. A church is a family. And we have the abilities to hurt or heal by our words. And we need to be careful. In whatever we do, and especially in what we say, you and I need to first have our hearts right before God because when that happens, we turn away from words that hurt. And we move away from spreading idle gossip, vicious rumors, and half-truths. And we start working towards speaking consistently as the Lord would have us do. Speaking in ways that unify us and heal us and strengthen us as God's people. Building us up as brothers and sisters in faith and girded by love. So be it resolved then, friends, that we learn to tame our tongues in 2022. Because, beloved, that's when what we have to say, both individually and collectively, begins to make a real difference in the lives of others and for the sake of the kingdom of God. And as it does, may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Tame Your Tongue, part of our current sermon series we've been calling Resolutions of the Spiritual Life. It was recorded during our January the 30th online service of worship here at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire. By the way, barring another winter snowstorm here in New Hampshire, we gather every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for in-person worship at the church on 51 Mountain Road. That's just off Essex 16 on I-93 in Concord. And of course, you can always join us as well for these services live online via Facebook Live on our East Church Facebook page or afterwards on the East Church YouTube channel. However you come to be with us, we'd invite you to share our worship with us, and I do think you'll be glad you came. And with that, we come to the close of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I thank you once again for listening. And until next time, Stay safe, be well, keep warm, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.